Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast. My name is Eli Hoff and I'm your Mizzou sports beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and STLToday.com. Back at you again this week with another episode. We've got another guest on tap this week. We're giving Ben Fred another week off. He's uh, he's watching enough bad basketball this season, so we'll spare him having to talk about more. Uh, but the gentleman who we are not sparing from talking about bad basketball this week is Matt Watkins. He's uh, He's one of the Rock Am Nation basketball guys. You heard you heard uh, his his teammate Matthew Harris on the podcast earlier on in the season. We're bringing Matt Watkins around this time. You can find his work over at Rock Am Nation, Rock Am Radio, doing the podcast there, and uh, and you can find him on Twitter at Data Mizzou. Uh, it's him on Twitter tweeting good basketball stuff there. Matt, thanks for joining the program. Uh, I know you were on vacation a little bit, so you got a you got away from from some of the firestorm a little bit. But uh, uh, how are you doing as it relates to yourself and and this basketball season? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I uh, just got back from vacation, uh, played a few rounds of golf. You know, that's uh, some people might consider that worse than uh, losing basketball. I consider it better. Um, depends on perspective. But yeah, um, Mizzou had a tough weekend this weekend, losing to Mississippi State. Um, the Tigers program has become relatively accustomed to losing to the Bulldogs. I think uh, last year's victory was the first in about six years. Um, over the team from Starkville, but uh, yeah, it has not been going well for Mizzou. No, no, it hasn't. And and I'm always curious with with someone like you who does so much when they watch games of of the analysis and the numbers and the note taking and all of this. You know, do you ever have you gotten worn down at all this season of of kind of thinking, you know, what, why am I still doing this and, and trying to find ways to get out of it or, or you know. What are, what do you still find exciting about a, a season like this and a team like this? Well, there's several ways to look at it that from a purely scientific standpoint, data is data, whether it's mm-hmm. good, bad, good data or bad data. Um, Saturday was mostly bad. I, uh, in reviewing the, reviewing the game, I believe Mizzou made three field goals over the first 18 minutes of the second half. Um, you're not going to win a basketball game doing that. So, um, you know, but on the other hand, uh, Mizzou Tigers fans have been pretty, pretty accustomed to some down seasons over the last decade. Um, and it's college basketball in 2024. Things can flip in a hurry. We've seen it the last three years. Mizzou won, I believe, 12 games in 2022. They more than doubled that in 2023. And now they're looking at half of that back in 2024 so fortunes can flip quickly um it's much like entering a casino you know it's it's minute to minute things can be going great and then the next minute they're not so um you know looking at it from the way that i follow the team um it's interesting to see individual players how they're progressing um say at tamar bates this year you would have never expected him to be 
averaging nearly 19 points a game in conference play um, when he was barely cracking the rotation on an Indian. The Hoosiers team he was on last year was good, but they were in need of um, perimeter help, which is exactly what he provided. Um, so you just never know. And you're always kind of looking, what are these guys doing well? What are they not doing well? Um, and do you have an eye, eye towards the future as well? No, I, I think that's a, a decent way of looking at it. And and you have the benefit of, of getting to do it for fun and not have to come up with new <laughs> ways to, to write about this afterwards and, and sometimes just gravitate towards the big picture. But I, I, I've been interested in seeing Tamar Bates' role grow and, and especially as and we'll, we'll get to the big picture a little bit later on too but I think it, just about anybody who's watched this team next year feels pretty confident in saying priority number one for this offseason is lock down Tamar Bates get him back for another year to give him the keys to this team uh, but I, I'm just curious Matt, your reaction if, as you've watched him you said that that it wasn't necessarily what you predicted from Tamar Bates or, or many people predicted from from tomorrow this season, but how have you seen his role settle in this season and, and maybe as it relates to what he might be going forward for this program? Well, I think it's mostly living up to the promise that he showed coming out of high school. Uh, I believe, don't quote me on this, but he was a top 30 or so player coming out of high school. So the talent's never been in question. The, the, uh, the role has always been the biggest issue for him. And as we alluded to just a minute ago at Indiana, they are not a team that relies heavily on their perimeter players. They typically have several post or interior players who are receiving the bulk of the production, um, and that's by design. And then when you looked at him coming over to Missouri, um, I saw a role for him, but some of the injuries this year have given him the opportunity that I did not think he would have um, when a John Tanjay and a Caleb Grill went down. Um, both non-point guard perimeter players, that really opened up um, an opportunity for him to show what he had, and he's taken and run with it. I None of this is necessarily surprising to me in the ability that he's doing that. I just didn't see it happening this year. I, I saw it more happening next year when that opportunity presented itself. Um, but still, even then, I do not would not have seen him having the year that he is having. So, um you know, it's it's been a bit of a revelation and, you know, there's been some talk about the misses that uh, Dennis Cates has had in the portal. But for all of those misses that we could consider that with injuries and lack of production and whatnot, um, Tamar Bates has certainly been a hit. No, he he hasn't. I think back to just after the this most recent loss to A&M, what, what Buzz Williams said after the game that he said, you know, Tamar Bates was someone he and his staff had heard of, but didn't give much thought to at Indiana. And then now he's going out and, and scoring on them with Will that I think, you know, Gates saw and his staff saw something in, in Tamar that others didn't. And that's obviously worked out quite nicely. Uh, I, you mentioned the injuries a little bit there, and obviously that's one of the storylines of this season. And now with Sean East missing this, these last two games, you know, I think that's one of those. It's not as if any of the the Ken Palm numbers predicting wins are particularly friendly to Mizzou going into the games, but mm -hmm. I feel like the second you see, oh, Sean East is out again, that number just tanks to to you know even lower. Uh, but with Tajay and, and Grill more specifically, how many wins do you think they would have been worth if they were healthy? Like when when we talk about what Mizzou is missing in terms of you know it, this is a team that's that's eight and 16 right now are they 
you know, is it 12 and 12? I, what, how much of a difference do you think these injuries might be if you were to try to quantify it? I'm going to ask you to, to you know, create some data here for us <laughs> since you're the numbers guy coming on the pod. <laughs> well, that's obviously impossible to say with any level of specificity. But, um, you know, when I when I went through all the projections prior to the season, which I do annually, um, it's a bit of a labor of love. Um, but I would have seen this team, had they been healthy, with no significant time lost, um, you know, our, my goal for them would have been a bubble type team. I don't know that they would have had um, the offensive firepower necessary from the pieces that are still here and healthy to crack that um, tournament field, but an NIT team um, and knowing what we know now about the schedule and what, whatnot, I, you know, I would say, 500 would be the minimum expectation for me. Um, you know, it, they lost to a Jackson State team early on when Caleb Caleb Grill was healthy, John Tanjay was not. Um, you know, and is John Tanjay the difference in that game? I believe he played a little bit in it. He was never healthy healthy this year, but is he the difference? Perhaps. And then the only loss that Mizzou had prior to um, Caleb Grill's injury against Wichita State was a loss at home to Memphis, um, you know, and they've only won once <laughs> since Caleb Grill went out, and that was to Central Arkansas, I believe. So, um, you know, there was just a run of games early on in conference play when they were within two possessions at the under eight timeout, and things just fell apart. Their bench was too short. You could see guys losing their legs a little bit. So, you know, it's not hard to see them picking up three or four wins early in conference season um, before this latest slide beyond competitiveness. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would say four wins is a minimum of what I would have expected the difference, uh, potentially more. But, uh, I mean, they, they were impactful losses, and part of that – without getting too far afield here is that the roster that they built um, needed to be healthy. It was not a roster that could withstand one or two losses from top level players. Um, any team's going to struggle with that, but especially this one um, that required so much on a balanced attack. Um, you know, Tamar Bates has really had a good season. Sean East has carried a lot of the offensive load before he got hurt. Um, but even then, it's a thin, thin line in college sports. And this team was seemingly thinner than most. And you see, once you start plucking pieces out of there, it just, it's impossible for them to recover from that. Yeah. It, well, and when you look back at just the players who were out from that A&M game of, if you take the five of Sean East, Caleb Grill, John Tanjay, Jesus Carlo Martin, and Trent Pierce, that five right there, if you would have told me that at some point in the season that would have been a combination of five players that was getting playing time and doing pretty well, I, I you know, I wouldn't have said you were crazy. And now that's a combination of five players who are sitting out of the game, and and even some of the the rotations and just lineups that Gates is stuck with at this point. He he even said it after that game that his hands are just tied offensively with what he's able to do. And and some of the reporters in the arena when we're sitting in press row sometimes we'll just look at each other point at the floor and say who's who's going to be the one to go score right now right. Uh, because you just you look at at how some of those dice have fallen uh I, i'm curious too matt the the freshmen 
are again are the focus going forward alongside mm-hmm. Tamar Bates. And it's it, I feel like it's been hard to evaluate the two who aren't named Jordan Butler just because they haven't been on the court very much, Trent Pierce, right. especially over the last few weeks. But you know, assuming the that one Trent Pierce comes back and they and they continue seeing minutes and opportunities to to get their shots going forward, you know, how do you evaluate them and what do you watch for with with this final handful of games for them knowing that you know they have a development plan with this coaching staff and, and there's all these things behind the scenes that are in place but you know what what do you think maybe makes for an ideal kind of public performance of their progress <laughs> as this goes well we actually spoke about that on a rock in podcast the dive cuts podcast a few weeks ago and you know there there's a big groundswell of saying just play the freshman and there is some virtue of getting them time and i i do agree that you need to get the players on the floor but the argument against that is you also don't want to destroy their confidence you know we're talking about freshmen who are coming in on what is now an owen 10 team in conference play um, that if you were putting a jordan butler against a tolu smith for example for 40 minutes without reprieve, he's going to get his brains beaded. Tolu Smith is a very, very good, very, very physical player. Uh, Jordan Butler is very talented, but he's physically not at that level yet, um, which is completely fair. It's completely understandable for a freshman. Um, You know, and asking him to go bang bodies with one of the nation's premier big men for 40 minutes is just, it's not going to do anything positively for him other than see how far away he is um and he did have a few good minutes early um and you notice that he scored early on um got to the free throw line uh, but you you you're looking more for glimpses than the entire the, the entire performance in my mind and with anthony robinson it's a little bit harder with him missing time due to family um illnesses um so you know, it, it's not only the freshman aspect of it, it's the fact that it's an underperforming team. And then you've also got this time missed um, that you're trying to get him in the flow that it's it's been a very disjointed season for uh, Anthony. Uh, Jordan Butler has not had that issue as far as missing time, but Trent Pierce has with his um, illness that's kept him out for, I believe, the last four games, three games for sure. Uh, and with Trent, I think his biggest issue is just confidence and being able to knock down the shots that he's taking. Um, you see a lot of good things with him on the court. It's just the shots haven't fallen. And that's that's not uncommon for a freshman. But, you know, if one or two fall, maybe he goes on a run and has a great end of the season. It's just it's different for each player um, considering their position and what's being asked of them. Uh, Anthony Robinson, you look at him sitting behind uh, Sean East and Nick Honor. All three of them are considered point guards, but they all have a different game. Um, So when Sean is out, who's very creative with the ball and is able to uh, be very effective effective in pick and rolls, if you want to keep utilizing that same offense, you have two guys who aren't necessarily as versed in that with Nick Honor and uh, Anthony Robinson. So it's it's not just about performance, it's about confidence and it's also about how they're fitting in the roles and what they're being asked to do. 
Um, but the one thing I will say about Anthony Robinson is no matter what his offensive shortcomings have been of late, I'm still very impressed with him as an um, on-ball defender. He's one of, if not Mizzou's best in that regard. Um, and you see the, you kind of start to see the game plan with those three players that are able to generate deflections and blocks and whatnot. Um, and that's something that I think the staff prides itself on finding. And we haven't really seen with the rest of the players on this team. So uh, at least you're being able to see from a defensive standpoint how they're going to fit in and what they're being asked to do, even if the performance isn't there. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And I feel like you see with even Jordan Butler, now that he's getting this regular role of his, that you can see the timing is coming along when he's down in the post that, you know, I, I'd, it actually it would be interesting to go and and watch back a game from just even, you know, three weeks ago and see what the difference is. I feel like there's been some tangible improvements that you can see that that happening. But I, I want to sidetrack us for a moment here, because sure. the way the way you're talking about the, the ball handlers or the point guards roles. It has me interested, and I, I think you'll appreciate this as as a guy who likes stats and numbers too. But I, I come at this from a soccer background, mm-hmm. and one of the things that you know with soccer is you know not all midfielders are built the same, right? You know, just at any position, they're not all built the same. They may have the same position name, but they play very differently. And so there's a, a sort of subset of soccer analytics that is dedicated to you know it's almost kind of role theory of looking mm-hmm. at you know we're taking all these midfielders but breaking them into different categories based on statistical tendencies you know is, is that a, a valuable exploit in basketball with point guards because again you know John East and Nick Honor are both point guards very different players you feel comfortable with them doing very different things except Nick Honor has a floater now which is new and kind of fun <laughs> but you know <laughs> like I don't know I, that's not really a question for you but you know what do you think of, of that kind of way of looking at basketball and, and the way some of these players are used when it comes I to I think them? I think to some extent they're already thought of that way um it's not as popular in the college game but I know the the whole archetype of of what players do on the floor is it's so so often distilled into the traditional we've got the one the two the three the four the yeah five, yeah the point guard the shooting guard the small forward the power forward the center that you just have to you have to get out of that mindset and you know we talk a lot about positionless basketball now sure. and that's at the very opposite end of the spectrum where you consider each player the same and i don't really adhere to that either i think you have to look at what the players do what their strengths are and how they're used um so with a guy like sean easton we'll use that as example he's he's very effective in pick and rolls and for those who may be unaware that's just simply where uh where uh where one of his teammates comes up and sets a screen on the defender that is guarding him and rolls to the basket Ergo pick and roll. Um, there's a lot of variations from that, but uh, it's it's a very prevalent offense in the NBA, and it's filtered down to be very prevalent in college as well. Sean is very good at the pick and roll. Um, he's very crafty in the way that he manipulates the defense, going 
around the pick, and he also has uh, an intriguing, we call it finishing package that he can pull up with jumpers if the if the defense lags back, and if the defense comes up on him, he can blow by, and he can either do a floater or a uh, layup, or to the extent that it ever happened to dunk, uh, but uh, a rim finish. <clears throat> Whereas a player like Nick Honor is not very adept as we say, getting downhill. And that means turning the corner around the screen and attacking the defense towards the rim. Um, he's really struggled with his rim rim finishing. And, uh, you know, he's, as you've alluded to, he's added the floater to try and counterbalance that. Um, but his primary look of offense out of the pick and roll is to pull up for a three-point jump shot. Um, and he's quite effective at that, where Sean before this year had not been. So even with a point guard, in one action, the pick and roll, we have very different players. Um, and last year, Mizzou used the pick and roll to some extent, but significantly less than they have this year because Sean's been so good at it. Um, they used Kobe Brown as the facilitator in the offense. And even though he's not a point guard, he kind of was, um, they would pitch the ball to him at the high post. And if he had an opportunity to beat his defender, he would. Um, and Mizzou ran a lot of actions off that where they're cutting weak side off of screens to get cuts to the basket. And it was a very difficult defense or offense to defend, but it required having a player of Kobe, Kobe Brown's caliber to really exploit it. And Mizzou had that. He was a rare bird. Um, there probably weren't more than two or three guys in college basketball who had that skill set. Uh, and for us, I know we might have some listeners who aren't just Mizzou fans here, but uh, Robbie Avila out of uh, Indiana State is a very similar player. He doesn't have quite the athleticism as Kobe Brown, but he is literally a point guard, even though he's 6'10", 250, um, and he's, he's doing the exact same thing. So you, you have to look at it as not just this is the guy bringing the ball up the court, but what are they doing when, when they get into the offense? So... <clears throat> I don't know if that completely answers your question, but that's kind of how I look at it. What are what are they being asked to do? Nick Honor wasn't being asked to run pick and rolls last year. That wasn't really a, really a function of what they were doing. So it can change, and it's really about what the player's strength is and how it meshes with what's being required of him in the offense. Well, I, I, I appreciate all that explanation. I think that, that then makes for an interesting lens to view these freshmen of kind of the development of, of what their roles are and, and how they fit in there. Once it goes from them sort of, you know, just <clears throat> filling minutes and getting shots and some of that to what they're doing. That's, that's interesting. Uh, but I do want to pivot into the big picture because Matt, you have a, a really great series of stories coming out every Friday at rock M nation uh, on, on the big picture of what program building looks mm -hmm. like for Mizzou men's basketball and, and, you know, for Dennis Gates and, and his approach, because uh, it's, well, I'll, I'll let you explain it a little bit in kind of the big picture, but <laughs> okay. it, it's, it's different, especially in sort of, you know, the lens of what modern college basketball is, where everything is, is portal, portal, portal. All of a sudden there's three freshmen right now and five coming in. And all of a sudden, when you start to look at next year's roster, eight spots are now presumably going to be occupied by underclassmen. So um, I'll, I'll ask for a little bit of just kind of your, your basic, summary of the takeaways and then I'll, I'll dive into a few of the questions that have come up for me as I've been reading this um but you know what's what what inspired you to to kind of do this this deep dive and and what have been the exciting takeaways for you so far well it's something that we had been following you know over at rock and we we 
try and distill everything down to the down to its core and with Dennis Gates after he had the very successful year one um and there were three players that he kept from the from Konza Martin's last roster and that was Kobe Brown Kobe's brother Caleb Brown and Ronnie DeGray Caleb and Ronnie didn't really play a whole lot um in the 2022-2023 season. So is basically Kobe Brown in this roster of transfers around him. Um, some of the transfers had come over from Cleveland State with Dennis Gates, including Demoy Hodge and Trey Gamillion, who were important pieces to the roster. But um, it was just an amalgamation of all these pieces coming from all these different places. Um, and what I found interesting is that he had a fair degree of success with that, um, 25 win season went on to win a game against uh, Utah State in the NCAA tournament it was his first I believe since 2010 so a very good season by all accounts but it was something that ran contrary to what Dennis Gates and his mentor Leonard Hamilton at Florida State had been doing um, and I had kind of looked into what he had done at Cleveland State but again that was a very hard comparison to make because when Dennis Gates his first head coaching job was at Cleveland State he took over that summer and had basically nothing on the roster we're not talking about no talent we're talking about no players um, so he had to go out and find guys from all over from everywhere just to be able to feel the team he was pulling guys from junior college some D1 transfers high school prospects any manner of player that he could get his hands on he did and he had a very very difficult year one but then managed to win two conference championships in a row um, following that so it, it spurred me to think like well what is, what is the plan going to be here at Mizzou um, and after his first recruiting class which admittedly was mostly Konzo Martin's recruiting class of one player um, Aiden Shaw that we really didn't know going into year two how this was going to shake out and then he brought in three freshmen who are now the freshmen on this team with uh, Trent Pierce, Anthony Robinson, and Jordan Butler. And even then it was kind of a, you know, well, three high school players isn't an obscene amount. It's pretty typical for even for programs who are going to go into the portal. But then this year, his uh, high school seniors that he's signed, he's signed five of them. I believe all are ranked in the top 130 of the 24-7 composite rankings, um, and that really indicated to me that he was going to build like they were building at Florida State, and it wasn't going to be, we're going to try and rebuild each year through the portal, um, so it, it intrigued me to go back and look at just the mechanics of how it worked uh, when he was in Tallahassee, and do not quote me on this. It's in the stories, but I believe Dennis Gates was there from 2012 to 2019. And Charlton Young, the Mizzou associate head coach, was also with Dennis Gates under Leonard Hamilton from 2014. And he left in 2022. So that was kind of the time frame that I was looking at. Not only this is what Leonard Hamilton was doing, but this is what the two guys who are on Mizzou's bench right now were helping him do. Um, so that was the genesis, if you will, of what provoked me to look into this. Yeah, well, and and again, it, it's been fantastic, and and 
the the second volume where you dive into some of that Florida state model is interesting because the more you show this, the more you can see what the vision is now for Dennis Gates and, and where it came from. Um, and, and that just uh, that the model is, is there for it. Um, I, I wanted to, to read uh, one, uh, one paragraph here that I, I think underlines the, the whole thing here. So I'm going to, I'm going to steal your thesis, but attribute it to you and then sure. read it here, but that you say, this is all to say that the Florida state model requires some degree of patience, despite lofty recruiting rankings, playing a deep bench is great in theory, but struggles surface when the back half of the rotation isn't up to standards that requires consistently effective recruiting development and player retention. The Seminoles in the late 2010s excelled at all those things. Now Mizzou is relying on two key actors in that film to do the same thing in Columbia. That, that seems like, you know, the, the summation of, of the model there. And, and then you also point out just the leap that these Florida States recruits who were all, I think you said the median recruit was rated 85th in the country. So, Mm -hmm. you know, these these good recruits who come in, they take that first year and play that back end of the rotation role and then take a huge leap in their second year. And I think that's something that, you know, our our listeners should key in on that. There is a big <laughs> leap for these recruits between year one and year two. Uh, I'll just ask you about what you found as you looked through some of that player development, because we we hear that and we talk about that and we attribute to that's why the freshmen aren't playing 36 minutes of cardio a night and just chucking shots up and getting posted up left and right. You know, what do you think it is about that approach? That's so just integral to the way Dennis Gates and CY young want to, to go about doing this. Well, that's an interesting question. You know, it, it, it changed, I think a little bit over the years as um, Florida States recruiting improved in the early two thousands when, or 2010s, when Dennis Gates was there, their first few classes were, quality but i wouldn't say great by recruiting recruiting standards um recruiting service standards i should say um they ended up being productive classes as they went on but it wasn't until about 2015 when they started hauling in top 15 top 20 classes annually um but i think the big takeaway here is that even with their good recruiting um, it still wasn't relying on freshmen to really power the bus. When you think about programs that are still building through high school talent, you think of a Kentucky, you think of a Duke when they're bringing in one and done type talent. I believe during that span, Florida State had three one and done players, which were very, very valuable players, but that was the exception, not the rule. Um, over the course of the time that they were doing this, you saw the freshmen playing about 30% of minutes, which my math is right here, um, you know, 10 to 15 minutes a game. Um, and they were doing so relatively effectively, but it was almost more of a matter of getting their feet wet and providing a little bit of depth off the end of the bench to give rest to the better players um, that were getting more minutes and to just be able to hold serve, if nothing else, um, during those minutes. So, uh, once they became sophomores, this was the really intriguing thing that I found through all of this uh, research was that universally, whether it was lower ranked freshmen or higher ranked freshmen, they were going to see a big, big jump in minutes and a big jump in efficiency once they hit that sophomore year. And not only is that something that, as you mentioned, a way to ask for patience among 
the fan base, but it's also a way to monitor them. If players aren't seeing that jump from freshman to sophomore year, it brings in questions. Are these not the right players or does the model not work anymore? Um, so it's it's not only giving hope, <laughs> it's uh, it's laying a groundwork for analysis to see how they're improving. Well, and, and that leads to, to something I've, I've said on, on this podcast before, that this is a pivotal offseason for a certain second-year Mizzou player named Aiden Shaw, who's been in this system for two years now. And, you know, at, at the current moment, seems to to not be asked to do much beyond, or not do much beyond some 45 cuts and dunker spot lurking and some lobs, the occasional finish off the glass, and, you know, doing some rim protection on the other end as well, and just whether... It seems like it will be a critical offseason for both parties to decide, is this working? Is this the role that everyone had in mind? Is this where Aiden Shaw wants to to end up as a player? And what does this team need? And when when one of the things, too, that I think is important for looking at next season is, is at least in my eyes, realizing that any player that you want to bring in from the transfer portal really requires a player to leave for the transfer portal just because you've got – uh, by my count, five players who will be out of eligibility, five freshmen coming in. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> there's there's not going to be any natural roster spots created. So I think it's interesting to view that approach. And also, I wonder how much it impacts now some of these Juco players or players who come in later. I think of, you know, Sean East has taken such a leap in his second year in the mm-hmm. program here. And he and <clears throat> Gates will be the first to tell you that the second year is the reason why. Uh, it's it's interesting to to view it through that lens. Sure. And you you do make a good point, I believe, technically, um, you know, and there's a whole write up on this in the in the series about um, how the roster spots are still 13. But that is very is more amorphous now than it's ever been. But it's still important um, because even if you were able to get guys coerced into walking on and getting NIL payments in lieu of scholarships, once you get past that number, you're not getting minutes. Um, so, you know, sure, you could stay on, but if we're bringing a player in ahead of you and that's going to be knocking your minutes down, are you going to want to stay? So even though there's a lot of manipulation that can go on with it legally, I might add, um, there's still a practical aspect of how many players want to be on a roster together. Um, you know, if you're, if I, Dennis Gates is going to play as sophomores if they return. He's going to play um, freshmen, maybe not as much as um, some programs, but he'll he'll certainly be playing them. Um, you know, if he starts bringing in transfers, that the writing is then on the wall for players who may not want to be operating as a twelfth or thirteenth man on the rotation. That's not to say they have to leave, but it's one of those situations that's like I see what's what's happening here. So. Um, it will be an interesting offseason. You know, we, you've got the uh, players leaving, the Noah Carter, Sean East, um, Nick Honor, who are out of eligibility. Um, Connor Vanover is another one. But then you have interesting cases like Jesus Carolero and John Tanjay, who both theoretically have another year because of a medical redshirt, if it is granted. Um, you know, what is the plan with those guys? Is it that requires two to tango on that. Um, they could th- they could go apply for a red shirt and play at another program, um, but for Mizzou to do it, both parties would have to be willing. So there's this spring is going to be very intriguing. 
as to how that how many spots they create but they they certainly i have no doubt in my mind there will be multiple spots um, come portal season that they will be seeking to fill who it will be and how they'll do it i don't know um, yeah. but that's that's just how college basketball is now well in in that now being the key word that this is the sort of pivotal off season that you know while while any team coming off this sort of season would have a pivotal off season it's going to look very differently than it would have even a few years ago and that's what you get into with your uh your your third piece of the series that came out last week and I, I like the metaphor you use that it's like walking into a casino to play blackjack and the rules have completely changed <laughs> that dealers can hit once they're past 17 people are swapping cards and and all this it, it's a good way to describe it because it's the same game at its core but all these external mechanisms have have changed and and i i know this is what you're going to get into in, in your final installment this week so i don't want you to spoil it too much but maybe you can <laughs> tease a little bit just you know how do you view the juxtaposition of this maybe quote-unquote old school florida state model that prioritizes recruitment and development with a little bit of you know juco transfers and and some of that coming in with just the way that college basketball is now i love that how you quantify how you know, roster experience has gone up, but it's the experience together that's gone down. Uh, you know, all, all these different factors. Where do you sort of see this building? Well, that will exactly be answered in the, in the upcoming <laughs> piece. But uh, you know, the what I will provide is um, in the in the I believe it was part two when I looked at Florida State's roster. You looked at. Uh, both their high school recruiting and their junior college recruiting and how the junior college supplemented the upperclassmen that either left going pro or just didn't work out. And that was the model. I mean, Florida state and Dennis Gates in particular, and I'll have a short story about Dennis Gates here in a minute, but they used the junior college ranks more than most programs did during the 2010s. Um, they would go out and get guys um, that a lot of programs weren't interested in junior college programs. 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. Junior college was the transfer portal back then, but it fell out of favor. Not with Florida State. Um, they continued to bring guys in, maybe not one a year, but close to on average, at least one a year. Um, so I look at that and I see, well, even with their high school recruiting strategy as being how they were building the program, they still brought guys in. And I think my theory is that the transfer portal will now be used in a similar way as the junior college transfers were back at Florida State. Well, so and that is that is my teaser. It's not an exciting teaser, but it's my theory. <laughs> I, it's good. And it's, it's important to understand how this works because again, it's easy to say, play the freshman more. It's easy to say, you know, oh, the freshmen coming in this next season are going to save Mizzou in some capacity. You know, it, it's easy to say hit the portal better or or it's, <laughs> evaluate better and do all that. But there are underlying things and trends here, so I'm I'm glad you're able to sift through that, and that's why I think you know your your coverage at, at Rock M and, and the podcast is important as kind of the the counter to some of the hot take fire everybody <laughs> cut everybody bench everybody uh, culture that happens with this sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Matt, thanks again for uh, for taking the time to join us. I, I appreciate getting your insight live instead of listening to it while I'm driving around Columbia or <laughs> or, uh, or reading it on my phone. Uh, again, if, if you uh, want to read more of Matt's work and, and find out where this is all going, where the future of Mizzou basketball is leading, uh, you can find his, his next installment at Rock M Nation on Friday. You can find him on Twitter at Data Mizzou. 
and uh, and check out his uh, his regular appearances on podcasts that are not this one uh, as you like. So uh, thanks again, Matt, for being on. Thanks to everyone for listening. We hope you have a good rest of your week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.